welcome to Phil's Breakfast Messel, episode 28. Um, yeah, sorry, it's been a, a little while between episodes. I We've just been really busy, and as always, because these take a load of research, it does take quite a while to put them together. This week, um, well, this episode, sorry, we, um, we're going to be covering some sci-fi concept albums because they're kind of fun to talk about. Like, we thought it'd be interesting to like cover some albums that have a really good like flow start to finish, the kind of... Um, Tracks that nicely bleed into each other and lead on. Obviously, this will mainly sit in the genre of death metal because death metal fans seem to be sci-fi fans. So there's just yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of bands we talked about recently, like Vector and Artificial Brain, as well, are really bringing that forward. So, and because um, we thought it'd be fun, we're kind of doing them in chronological order. So we're starting with quite an old one and going to end with a very recent one. So you can kind of see the progression of what bands have done with more technology available mm. to them and more more technical ability as it goes on. So the first band we're covering is Armageddon, who many of you will know as like a side project from Arch Enemy of Chris Amott, the younger of the Amott brothers. Um, they are one of 20 Armageddons on Metal Archive, so <laughs> look for the one from Sweden. Uh, and this is their first album, Crossing the Rubicon, on the label War Music. This was released in 1997, and I think the band were formed roughly around the same time. Mm. Because Armageddon's always, it's kind of felt like a Chris Amott solo project. I don't think they have a proper start date, because I imagine he had a lot of these concepts knocking around his head long before actually putting them together. This album is interesting because it is very much like our early Arch Enemy, yeah. if early Arch Enemy were a bit more prog and ludicrous. I, I would say yeah, that... yeah, and, and with a little bit of a sort of power metal influence as well, going in that sort of much more over the top sort of bombastic direction, which they're really leaning to in the next two albums because yeah. the next album is a power metal album, and the follow up is a straight up hard rock album <laughs> with occasional like Daniel and some double kicks. Um, mm, mm. So this one as well, the like the lineup's quite interesting because it's Chris Ramot on guitar, sort of mainly leading the project, and then we get Martin. Bengston and Peter Wilder on bass and drums, respectively. Both of those guys, you may remember, were on the Stigmata Arch Enemy album. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're both on Stigmata, which comes out a year later. Mm. So at this point in time, the two bands are completely... Yeah, nearly the same. Yeah, yeah. other than vocalist uh, Jonas Nyron, um, who doesn't really have much of a notable history in metal other mm. than being on this album. To me, he sounds like a slightly better version of Johan Lever. Yeah, he's, he's got quite a similar vocal style. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but it's, it is somewhat limited by the production of the day when this album was made. I personally think the vocals sound a lot better on the 2016 re, uh, sort of re-release of this, although there are other problems with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the same sort of style, but the overall musical composition of this album is quite different. It very feels like a very different album to mm. the earlier Arch Enemy. I think a big part of why this feels so different to Arch Enemy is Arch Enemy has always been based around that kind of classic two guitars, bass and drums. Mm. But whereas this band only has the one guitarist, Chris has seemed to, although there's obvious overdubbing, like in the solo, they still have another guitar, it's written a lot more to be played live as a four-piece rather yeah, than a five-piece. Yeah. And you get a lot of really interesting stuff where there's a lot more interplay of bass and guitar, where the bass will go off and do something very different, which... It's not Arch Enemy style. No, no. Or actually a lot of melodic death metal. If you think of early At The Gates and Flames, Rock Tranquility, you don't get so much of the bass taking a role where it's really doing something interesting. Mm, Whereas mm. 
this album, say, like the intro of Into the Sun, sounds absolutely crazy because you've got a really complex lead guitar part, but then a complex almost lead bass part, yeah, like yeah. intertwining and interweaving, and it just makes this album sound a bit more prog and epic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it loses that very sort of traditional melodic death metal feel that you know of the sort of twin guitars going off and doing something fancy, which is really cool, but then substitutes it with the bass, which gives it a very different feel. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, so this album, like, we should probably jump into the concept because I think with a lot of these we're going to want to talk about this. I've always thought this was a very simplistic but fun concept album. Mm. Like, it doesn't quite have the perfect flow of a lot. This is ten distinct tracks, really. Mm. But the story is great death metal fodder, especially death metal merging into kind of powery metal moments. Yeah, so like, and, and the sort of grand prog stories as well. Exactly, yeah. Like, So it's basically kind of set in the year 2022 in a kind of, you know, apocalyptic future where Earth gets overrun by, you know, all the corruption and so on that, you know, politicians are being corrupt and selling our souls and it eventually mm. results in a giant war machine being built that kills everyone. <laughs> so a small group of humans create a spaceship and travel off into space trying to seek new like new worlds, new homes, like and it's and it like it does a great build from the, the you have like a really epic intro in uh twenty twenty two, which yeah, is just like yeah. cool instrumental lead pattern, and then two like heftier death metal tracks explaining the end of the world. But then, like Rob pointed this out earlier, Juggernaut Divine Track Three, the story of the the killing machine, yeah. suddenly morphs into like a power metal song halfway through. <laughs> yeah, it has this intro which you've got used to on sort of Twenty Twenty Two and God's Forsaken. It sounds like this melodic death metal thing, and then one of the riffs in it is still a very heavy riff, but it's sort of just a power metal riff. And you're like, actually, that transition worked really well. Yeah, and and because it's Chris Amott, he goes into a massive like two minute long widdly guitar solo yeah. to end the song there, there, there are several absolutely gigantic guitar solos on this album um, and I think it's that it's that bit of arch enemy where the guitar solos are genuinely very well written mm. um, I never found myself getting bored doing any of these guitar solos and that's also added in by the fact the album's pretty short overall yeah um, under 40 minutes which I think is yeah really good for the style and and including these really long solos which actually have really nice melodies to them and are really catchy um it's done in exactly the right way it's reserved enough but still bombastic to get that message across without ever getting tiring yeah exactly and that that's so we come out of that big solo into astral adventure which is probably one of the sillier tracks on the album but also so really good yeah, i think yeah it's, it was I, I remember listening to this when i was young and that being like my early highlight Mm. Which is very much melodic death metal meets widdly power metal. Yeah, yeah. Like when we say power metal, we're talking power metal riffage and lead guitar playing. Mm. The vocals mm. are still very much this kind of high pitched, shrieky death metal vocals. Yes, yes, sort of like a carcass ish style, more high pitched death growl type thing. And the, like, so this this song, like in its kind of widdly hopeful melodies, is the story of you know people get boarding their spaceship and going off, uh, going off in search of the future. Mm. And that really, like, that's quite a happy kind of melodic track. And then that beautifully merges into uh, the track five, Funeral in Space, which is 
the kind of the first like departure into something quite different on this album. Yeah, yeah. So it comes in with these sort of calm acoustic guitars, and then you think, okay, this is this is interesting. And then it builds it up, and it's overlain with this like melodic, catchy electric guitar solos, as well as a cello. And yeah, is it that flutes in this? No, as well? no. So what it, it so it's it's like a kind of I think kind of Planet Caravan style like mm, um, yeah, acoustic yeah. guitar part. But then brought over that is a recorder. And stuff. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, so yeah. The first the melodic recorder is added, and then that fades out, and like a cello plays a sort of, sort of solo, sort of melody mm. part. And just as that's kind of coming to its climax, Chris Amott on the electric guitar harmonizes with the last note of it, and it goes into like a smooth guitar solo to lead yeah, it out, yeah. lead it all out. Probably the only use of recorder in metal, I can no, think it's of. No, yeah. <laughs> Maybe like an Aerial album has one somewhere. Yeah, like, possibly, but yeah, not the usual <laughs> instrument. But it works. I do yeah. think it sounds really good on it's this. A, yeah, it's actually a really effective piece, and it and it gets across, particularly when you've looked at the story of it and the name of the track as well, it gets across this idea of like this ever-expanding cosmos that you're just floating in, um, mm-hmm. and does that really well. And doesn't feel... It feels a little out of place compared to the tracks that have come before, but it, but it doesn't feel completely tonally inconsistent. It's not just thrown in there for the sake of it. It feels like part of a greater whole. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's definitely a skill I think Chris Amos always had in being able to write these kind of acoustic guitar tracks that are actually kind of brilliant. Like some of my highlights of later Arch Enemy are stuff like Marching on a Dead End Road, which is just mm. a cool acoustic and electric guitar interplay. Well, then we get into Asteroid Dominion, which uh, has one of the best starting riffs in this whole song. And it really brings home something I really like about this album, is that a lot of the riffs in it are still really heavy. Mm. Uh, like you can, re- I don't know what tuning the guitars are in in this album, but you can hear that the low string is really low in this song. And there's one particular bit of the riff that I really, really like. Um, and so I really like that they keep that heaviness to it. It still has a weight. And, th- and yeah, coming just after the lightest, like most easy listening song on the album, you have this really heavy riff. Uh, which I really like. Yeah, like Asteroid Dominion is definitely up there with, say, um, like Juggernaut Divine as just being a really solid death metal track. Mm. It's not too weird. Um, it's actually like really tastefully short solo for what's yeah, yeah. good for this band. Um, and yeah, just keeps things going nicely. Gotta admit, this is the point. So those first six tracks, I think, are great. Really, really solid stuff. This is where the album sort of tails off the cliff, though, and gets a bit too experimental for its own good. Yeah, so, yeah, Galaxies Away might be what you're talking about, <laughs> at least to some extent. Well, Galaxies Away is the point where they just decide to do, like, a bongo solo, Ooh. I think, for an entire song. I mean, I think it's kind of interesting, because it's not, it's not super long, and it's more interesting than about 90% of drum solos. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's kind of cool, um, and it, it didn't wear on me too much because it wasn't too long you know it wasn't like one of these five six minute songs which just went round the kit uh, and I thought there was some quite catchy stuff in it and that it was reasonably listenable it just doesn't live up to something like Funeral in Space which is a similar sort of idea of going in a very like more experimental different direction but they did it really nicely and built into it um, some sort of progression with the cello building into the guitar and stuff like that so Galaxies Away always felt slightly directionless I guess yeah it just it felt like they they were trying to add something texturally to the album there but just having this four minutes of like sort of a kind of like bongos and then actual real drum kit yeah. into playing it's, it's not terrible it's just kind of after having a really catchy death metal track you're just like oh okay we're just mm. we're just stopping the momentum there mm. and then we get faithless which is just like a two minute kind of almost blast fest it's yeah. just yeah yeah complete balls to the wall no guitar solo in it um 
Yeah, and just a very screamy, heavy death metal track. Slightly let down by the fact it doesn't actually have any great riffs in it. It's like, it's fine, but it's pretty unmemorable. Particularly when you compare it to some of the earlier riffs, like in Juggernaut, Divine, Asteroid, Dominion, where you're like, yeah, these are these are some great riffs to build a whole song on. And again, it feels like sort of damning of faint praise, but at least it's short. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, uh, particularly with something which is very intense and full of blast beats and stuff, you don't necessarily want that hanging around for a full six-minute length. So, like, getting that thing that's very heavy and fast, like, to the point and done with quite quickly is nice. And I, and I think as well, like, a lot of this stuff is there for the texture of the story. Like, Faithless mm. is meant to be this point where we've had, like... Your kind of your group of travelers have overcome adversity in asteroid dominion. Galaxy is away is meant to be this you know confusing vision of the future, mm. but then faithless is just them being like, oh, we can't do this. Like yeah. it's not working. Yeah. Then we get children of the new sun, which starts off with like a minute and a half of just like atmospheric electronic noises, mm. just lots of what sounds like just hitting supremely low notes on a keyboard with like yeah, a weird yeah. like synth effects, like. And then just, like, not really much of a riff, but just vocalist Jonas just screaming these hugely long... I'm not even sure if he's got words. It's just him <laughs> yeah. holding these really long screams. It's just, I guess, more of a, oh, we're despairing. This is, mm. this is it. This sucks. Yeah. But I think this is interesting because this will come to something I think we'll talk about on almost all of the albums today is the use of weird keyboard sound effects or weird guitar effects to create a very spacey feel. Mm. Um, and I think this is a nice example of like putting that into an album where it's not really there otherwise. And we'll see that develop in the next few albums. You know, Mithras take it in a certain direction and Progeny Terrestrial Pura take it in a completely different direction and how you can use different styles of instruments or different instrument effects to just build this very convincing sort of imagery and ambience within an album. Um, and I think this is a nice example of doing that. Yeah, because... This album does have a spacey sci-fi feel. Mm. Even if you mm. ignore the lyrics, like I'm sure the lyrics kind of put that in your head as well, but they, it's definitely music that fits the lyrical content. Yeah. And I think they've done a really solid job of that. And as much as I say, like, the album, there's like three tracks I'm not so into there. Mm. The album does build, build up to an absolutely brilliant closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the final track, Into the Sun, um, conceptually, it's great. Because you're listening to the album thinking... It's going to go somewhere. Like, yeah, this yeah, story yeah. must end somewhere. And the final track just reveals that only one person, like, kind of, I think the story's, like, narrator, mm. is still alive on this spaceship. <laughs> They've completely failed to do anything, and he flies a spaceship into a yeah, sun. Yeah. Just to... it, it's such a metal way to end the album. Of, yeah, well, we're just going to destroy everything and drive into the sun. And, and you, you can, even if you're not, sort of, super good at picking out what's going on in death metal lyrics you can hear the end of the sun and i think you can get the message even without <laughs> knowing the story you get the feeling that this is going for and this whole big journey has ended up in flying into the sun and that that's just such a great way to end it i think yeah yeah and and this track actually kind of showcases the best of this album which like is is really brilliant because after having the slightly experimental kind of second half it was nice to bring it back to something that was just really good so it starts mm. with a lot of guitar and bass interplay and this quite quite technical confusing riff and then that delves into a more kind of traditional death metal riff where we get more of the vocals and like the story essentially and then just this absolutely brilliant melodic middle section with like a bit of keyboards added so chris is doing like a bit more of a kind of whittly guitar pattern over these really big airy synth sounds 
and that sort of slowly builds and into a proper solo, and mm. it's just a perfect Chris Amott solo. Yeah, and yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of what you want to take the album home. Mm. And then, like mm. after the melodic section, just back to the chorus and a kind of yeah tight ending. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it fits thematically really nicely because when you begin with the intro, um, twenty twenty two, it starts off with these sort of like high melodic guitars and thinking okay yeah it's a Chris Amott project I get what's going on and it's nice that it fully brings that round to end it with like fantastic solos and really catchy choruses and really it makes the whole thing feel cohesive which it might have slightly lost in some of the songs beforehand it really brings the story back to a close it's nice to end on something really strong yeah yeah completely like uh, so I don't think this album is a masterpiece but I do think it's really worth a listen because mm. it's only just over half an hour and it is a really good slice of like that era of slightly after the real birth of melodic death metal because yeah. like the Amots were very late to the party with that essentially. Well, mm. I guess one of them was in Carcass, but like um, this is after the initial wave of like At the Gates and In Flames start point. But it is like a band doing something different with the sound. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not just another in that kind of catalogue. And yeah, like. It's just really interesting, and I like that they've kind of got a tight concept together, and and the fact that the lyrics are telling a story never really gets in the way of the catchiness. No, no, I mean, if anything, most of the time, particularly with sort of like Into the Sun and Juggernaut Divine, I think it adds to it. It gives it this sort of slight extra texture when you sort of listen or read the lyrics and get what it's going on about. And sometimes, you know, you don't really need to read or have an idea of the story to get the theme of it and mm. see that there's a like theme running through this. And I think that kind of adds to it. It makes it feel a bit more like a journey and like there's something happening, um, which I think in a lot of these albums we're covering today actually adds to it rather than detracting. And that really is what makes a great concept album. Yeah. And I think it's especially good if you're kind of like, I think both me and Rob are where you like listening to bands in album form. Like mm. you, you go through all the tracks, you don't really skip stuff. This, this definitely lends itself to that because you get to the end and you feel like you've been on a journey. Yeah. There yeah. is a major problem with this though. If you buy the, the original CD of it, because there is a bonus track and bonus tracks are a nightmare on concept <laughs> yeah, albums with a clone because you have to jump up and turn the CD player or MP3 yeah, yeah, player yeah, off yeah. before it goes into a fucking dreadful cover of Die With Your Boots <laughs> on. <laughs> no offence men to the band, but just doing a, like a melodic death metal band doing a straight up cover yeah, of, of an Iron Maiden song. <laughs> just yeah. screaming it. It doesn't seem like it's going to work at all, yeah. I guess this is the late 90s and people hadn't tried this yeah. enough to know it's a terrible <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that that kind of lets things down. So, to put this, like, to you a bit of uh, Armageddon history, Armageddon kind of did two more albums after this, and I think got pretty critically panned. I'm not mm. really, I'm not really sure where they stand in kind of metal history. It's kind of bands quite forgotten in a lot of ways. But I've always thought, especially the third one, Free, uh, excitingly titled is actually a really solid album it mm. has some slightly poor lyric writing and actually features chris doing the lead vocals for the entire album oh cool at that point uh this would be like early 2000s i think the band sort of fizzled out mm. but they reappeared around 2014 and reformed with a completely new lineup chris mm. had moved to america split from arch enemy at that point and reformed them as a melodic death metal band um, and released Captivity and Devourment, yeah, which is yeah. actually a great album if you like very melodic death metal with little bits of clean vocals, which might put some people off, might draw others in. After that, they've done another album, which is a reimagining of this, 
which mm. I found really hard work for a couple of reasons. I don't think it's bad. I think if this didn't <laughs> exist and that came out, I'd probably quite enjoy it. Yeah. But there's a couple of like real mistakes on it of Chris has rewritten a lot of the guitar solos. So if like me, you got into this young, like young and you know the album inside out, rewritten guitar solos sound <laughs> inherently wrong. It, yeah, yeah. It's like when you watch something live, you see a cover band, you're, like, you're playing that solo wrong, and it will just bug you to no end if you know what the original sounded like. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think the reimagined solos are are a problem at all. It's just, yeah, I'm just used to them one way. I don't think it, the thing I do think is an issue with it, and this is a modern production kind of thing of. The old album has very clear bass and guitar mm. and drums. Like It's a very cleanly produced album. Possibly to its detriment, it might lose a bit of heaviness there. But the thing you get with the new album, because they now have a second guitarist in the band, all the guitars are properly double-tracked throughout, and yeah, the bass yeah. is dropped in the mix. So you don't... The, the fun interplay of bass and guitar is drowned in a second, more simplistic mm. rhythm guitar. So yeah, so I listen to the new one quite a bit, just for a sort of comparison's sake for this. And... Um, overall, you know, the, the production itself, I think, is actually better. But I think that second guitar is a real problem because there's lots of stuff that you just completely miss. Mm. And, and it is that sort of epidemic of not having the bass particularly loud at all. And you miss out on all these really, really interesting interplays, particularly when you get into something that's a bit more proggy and goes in those more weird directions. And I think the constraints of writing it with one guitar in the first place actually made it more interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, like, there is an urge to just, oh, we'll just write something simple on the rhythm guitar to make it sound sort of bigger. But that's not always better. Yeah. Sometimes that heaviness comes across really well, but you can also get that with the guitar and bass. It's just a matter of writing that. And, you know, Chris Allen is clearly capable of doing it. Yeah, and more than anything, this just felt like an album that didn't... This album's fine. There's there's oh, no there's oh. no flaw with it that is so big. I felt it needed a reimagining. Like my only criticism of the earlier album would be that the vocals don't sound particularly great on it. Um, and I think the vocals on the revisited one are much better. Mm. Um, again, it's not something that's deal breaking. Um, they just don't sell me hugely on the first album. Whereas on the reimagining, I was like, yep, yeah, no, okay, this is exactly what this guy's doing, and it sounds really good here. Um, and it sounds sort of a bit more unique. It's got a bit more of aggression to it than the sort of, you know, more typical death metal sound, which I think serves this well, particularly when it's going much more faster and aggressive. Yeah, yeah, I guess in tracks like God Forsaken, a bit more power mm. would be would be of use. But just, like, if you can't deal with the vocalists on the original, I don't know that reimagining really no, helps. No, like, I mean, I, I, li- I like the vocals better on the reimagining, but it's it's not one of those things where it's a deal-breaker, like with some of the really early Sodom recordings or something, where you're just like, this is so badly recorded, I just can't listen to it. Yeah, yeah, those, like... I mean, I mean, there's definitely people who love them, but there are those earlier albums of bands where you're like, there is problems in the playing. This album is played mm. technically... Very precisely, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Peter's drums on it are quite simplistic for the most part, but they're tight. It's not like like early bolt thrower or something. Yeah, well, he's he's got something I really like, and you see this in Arch Enemy and in quite a few other bands. But it's it's really good. It's just these very sort of precise double bass bl- like little mm. blasts, like every now and then, which really add into it very nicely. He's also very reserved, which is good. 
Um, it gives this album a bit of space. It never feels too sort of all crammed in, which, you know, when you get to a Chris Hammond guitar solo, it gives it the room to breathe that it needs, yeah. which is yeah. really nice. And, and I think you really need that on an album, particularly when you're going for this more spaced out concept feel and there are some bands like artificial brain which can do that with blast beats and i don't know how they do it but yeah <laughs> you, you know with this it, it adds to that feeling of you're like within this massive cosmos and it's all surrounding you because the music itself has space within it yeah there's room to breathe in it which i, I feel mm. definitely helps but it might put people off and the other thing is you've got to like guitar solos to be into this like <laughs> so astral adventure i think is probably the best example of mm, mm. like having a huge guitar solo and the riff sort of coming to a close and then suddenly oh no it's not done there's yeah. a second more melodic part <laughs> of the guitar solo to come for the amount we shit on guitar solos we actually really like them because we get this album so yeah yeah, yeah. So, so i think from this we're going to play the third track juggernaut divine <laughs>
I'm recovering, uh, we're jumping on about 10 years in time, and this is the third album by the uh, London-based band, I think London-based, actually possibly not, but UK-based UK any, yeah. anyway, band Mifras. This is Behind Shadows Lie Madness from 2007 on Candlelight Records. It's their third, third album of four so far. Mifras are like an interesting band because they're kind of... A studio project, but a studio project that's always arranged itself for live playing. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's like there's been movements in the lineup over the years, but it's mainly always been Leon Macy playing uh, drums, guitars, and any kind of um, sort of keyboard or electronic synths and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and then uh, Rainer Koss on uh, bass and vocals. And that that's sort of been the stable core of the lineup throughout. They've often had another guitarist, mm. and I think on some of the earlier recordings, especially in their previous band, uh, Imperator, had a different drummer. So it's always kind of been built as a studio thing, but both of them write so the songs could theoretically be played yeah, live. Yeah, yeah. And we have, in fact, seen them live uh, at Damnation a couple of years ago, which was incredible. But the man never found a stable drummer, and I think of since Leon's just literally said, it's just me now, I'm... I'm yeah. just going to do this as a studio Which, thing. Which, when you listen to the drums in Mithras, you can sort of see why it's so fucking difficult to find someone who can play this regularly. Um, yeah. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. The drums in this are really, really interesting. So this, I do feel, is an interesting build off of what we were talking about earlier with Armageddon. There's a lot of elements that have kind of crossed over. Mm. It's like another great spanning um, sci-fi concept, but kept into a short album length. It's only like 45 yeah, minutes yeah. long. And it's moved from kind of melodic death metal into definitely tech death, but tech death with a real melodic edge. Like, these guys certainly have an ear for melody in their songs. Yeah, so, so I mean, the way I describe it quite simply is Morbid Angel has gone to space and got really weird in the process. I, I um, think Morbid Angel are definitely their big, yeah. like... Um, but, but I think they definitely take that... I mean, you, they take that inspiration, like most death metal bands are influenced by Morbid Angel to some extent, and they really make something very unique out of it. Mm. There are riffs which feel to me slightly like Morbid Angel riffs, but they're always taken in a slightly odd direction. Most of the riffs have a slightly weird groove or a slightly weird way of doing things, which, when you listen to it enough, feels very unique to Mithras. Mm. But that's the way I'd sum them up to someone who'd never heard them and was like, oh, is this something I'll be interested in? So... um like the the real comparisons of Morbid Angel are in, I think, the fact the vocals are really clear and understandable, mm, but still have a, mm. a deep bassiness to them. Yeah, the the drumming is like furiously fast, like a lot mm. faster than Beat Sandoval actually in places. Yeah, and you also have the Trey Azagoff kind of like how he has his like signature bizarre guitar solos in Morbid Angel. Mm. Leon has definitely a signature style, which is. Both of them have this thing where they sound very futuristic. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'd say Leon um, definitely is more melodic um, mm. and slightly doesn't go in for some of those more um, off kilter tray solos, which are like almost like just anti music. <laughs> yeah, like. Yeah. And when we say Morbid Angel, I think definitely like Covenant era Morbid yes. Angel. Like yeah, it, yeah. it's less so Formulas Fate or The Flash, more. Mm. That was mm. the vibe I got anyway. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I think. I think one of the things that makes this album so unique and the thing which we really build off Armageddon is the melodic guitar work and particularly the guitar effects that are used. Um, I don't know exactly what effects are being used, but there's some delay in there, there's some reverb in there and something which creates this really sort of like mysterious space 
science fiction feel lead tone and it captures this sort of etherealness of space and well there's an almost Lovecraftian concept to what they're going for here as well yeah yeah so definitely it really captures that beautifully in a sound there's no other band I've heard who do a sound quite like this and it's a really sort of one of the things that Mithras do better than anyone else is get that guitar to just sound like space like even without the synths, there's these guitar bits which just sound like you're in a Lovecraftian nightmare in space. So I think as Rob was saying, I think I think is a lot of chorus and reverb mixed with yeah. distortion over these incredibly fast technical solos, which give mm. you this kind of edge of you can never quite pin down any notes in it exactly. because they're ringing out into other notes that are yeah. coming on. Yeah, but yeah. but it's, it kind of gives it almost this like liquidy feel. Yeah, where... it just sort of like flows over the top of these really heavy riffs underneath it. Mm. And sometimes just sort of apart from it, sometimes with synths accompanying as well. And then with, you know, furious double bass drumming beneath it all. Yeah, so like their sound has a lot of... Um... Like the drums are very triggered in this. Like mm. it, there's a, there's no escaping that in their sound. But the problem is like their songs. I think most of this album's around two seventy two eighty BPM. Mm. And I've heard, heard mm. George Goliath talk about this before. You can't do that if you don't trigger because otherwise you get that kind of you know early Wolves in the Throne Room. Yeah. How the double yeah, yeah. bass in that just sounds like a kind of weird rumble. Yeah, yeah, because the, the sounds just overlap too much. The bass drum physically cannot manage that sort of level because the reverberations are just knocking into each other mm. and like also like the snares and i think some of the toms i like saw a sort of kind of a couple of videos of his of leon's kit setup are also mm. triggered because leon doesn't just play fast with his feet his hands are actually much like i think you were saying earlier on he's he had to speed his feet up to catch up with his hands because yeah it's just so quick around the kit yeah the drumming of this is really nice and i think um again as a stark comparison you think of someone like pete sandoval but again, parts of this are faster. And one of the things I really like is, um, particularly on Throne Beneath the Waves, one of the last the last track, well, not quite the last track, but the last proper track on the album mm. before the outro, um, you've got these moments where you have really intense, fast double bass drumming, and then you have sort of much lighter cymbal work on top of it, sort of on the ride cymbal, um, and then obviously you've got your snare drum as well, but it gives it this really intense, fast energy, which backs up some of the riffs and even adds energy to where the riffs are less aggressive. And then you have something much lighter going around the rest of the kit, which gets this sort of duality that Mifras have between the sort of ethereal space-style textures and the much more aggressive death metal style, which is beneath, which pairs up really nicely, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and the, the thing we haven't mentioned, which is another kind of... Not unique, I feel a lot of bands are doing this these days, but they use it in a very interesting way is we also get a lot of kind of like synth electronica mm. interludes. I think there's like four on this album bits yeah, where yeah, yeah. You, you'll get kind of often very melodic electronica and, and he often mixes a little bit of that lead guitar in there yes. as well to make these kind of these interesting breaks between the songs because the music is pretty furious throughout. Mm. The, the, the true death metal songs don't really let up, but every so often these little breaks... They just set the atmosphere again. Yeah. Yeah, you've got things like When the Light Fades Away, which, you know, is just a sort of... It feels like it could come from a sci-fi video game style thing. Yeah. Um, but it again, it sets the tone for the rest of the album. And I think it interleaves it really nicely with the other tracks because you have this guitar sound popping up in both of them. It really feels like an organic part of the same whole. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, probably should get into like conceptually this album as as much as musically. I think Mifraf has always been like this. It's ambitious as hell. Like mm. everything, like the the technicality of the album is supremely ambitious. What they've tried to like mixing this must have been a nightmare to make everything come through because you've yeah, got like yeah. huge um like the bass sound is massive as well mm, again mm. that's the concept in a minute but <laughs> i haven't mentioned the ba- the bass tone yeah. so the bass has a, like equally is cleverly affected it's not hugely but there's like an edge of like i think chorus and distortion on mm. it so it, it equally has a slightly spacey sound yeah but yeah. also has a heaviness that i've not heard a lot of tech deaf bands it would get with their bass like um, Rainer does a load of great stuff where he'll deliver like a bass slide at the perfect moment mm, to build mm. um, build a riff up, and it, like there is a couple of moments of just brilliant bass playing on this. It's not even so much technical, although the bass playing is very technical. His moments really, really shines. It's just where he does something quite different to the guitars, yeah, and I think yeah. that's a purposeful choice. Where again, because like Armageddon, there's one guitarist and one bass player writing for this. We don't have that kind of thing where we're just drowning stuff in a simple guitar part mm. to back the solo. Like the bass is written to complement and add different melodies. And yeah, and, and with a sort of you know space and Lovecraftian style feel, it makes it feel different because there are different things going on that your brain is trying to process at the same time. It goes in that prog direction and gives it that sense of slight mystery and that there is more going on than what you're just hearing because it sounds different to most of the stuff you've heard and there are different patterns that you're trying to sort of recognise at the same time, which really fits the feel of the album. Yeah, yeah. Um, this album of theirs, like conceptually, is probably the most explained. I think any of them have been. They have been. They they've always gone for kind of longer concept forms. Like I think the latest album, although they weren't going to do so, is also a concept. Um, mm. This follows directly on from where uh, Worlds Beyond the Veil left off, and we have the, like kind of the central character who's like the narrator throughout. Essentially, that like, Rainer just plays this uh, the great counselor throughout the story. And it starts with him, and yeah, the way they sort of explain it in the lyric book is because you've got these um, instrumental electronic interludes, mm. they have like poetic stories, essentially lyrics yeah. behind them that aren't in the song, mm. Mm. And, but they're written in exactly the same format as the lyrics, and so I have the CD version, and Rob download, like... Um, yeah, I've got a digital copy, so digital. I wasn't able to access this, which is now really annoying. <laughs> yeah, and Rob's kind of saying he couldn't quite follow the story, but with these in-between parts, you can the story is actually explained for you. It's mm. not. I would say this album, more so than a lot of concept albums, doesn't leave a huge amount up to the imagination, but the way it leaves gaps for you is just quite entertaining. Mm. So the story is essentially this character and his people were going to transcend Earth that was sort of destroyed or warped in the previous album but it is like at the last minute he encounters this character the enigma who's some kind of like lovecraftian like warp like uh entity yeah yeah and is thrown uh back to earth hence the extract fall from the heavens and the kind of the next like the whole first of the half of the album is this character exploring exploring earth which has got completely warped and taken over by are like entities of shadow which mm. can only exist in the uh, in the shadows like only exist in the dark hence behind shadows lie madness and they're like hunting the remains of humanity on this mm. planet so it's all about this character's kind of quest to find find places that are lit that you can avoid these characters and you, you go for a load of um sort of a load of that story and then we hit um 
Awaken Man of Stone at track seven, which is him finding, him sort of going into a cave in the mountains, falling and finding himself in this civilization of humans who are like, who have fled underground mm. and apparently are safe from these, these monsters. But at that point, because uh, he's fallen in there, he's been followed by the Enigma and other mm. of these shadow beasts who, in this kind of underground kingdom with giant stone statues, managed to possess one of the stone statues oh, and right. chase the yeah, humans yeah. out of their like their like mountain sanctuary. So the counselor ends up, rather than being this lone character he was for the first half of the album, mm. ends up with a band of people who it's his fault for in <laughs> danger. So like, there's some more more details happen. But essentially, he realizes he needs to get to this this kind of like prophesized land where the sun doesn't leave, like where the sun always illuminates them across the ocean. I'm assuming with this like with this cataclysm, the Earth is no longer in its usual kind of orbit type yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, or you're just completely fucked, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So like, something's happened there. So the the final half of the album is the final like quarter. It's like them getting on a boat and trying to escape. But uh, the counsellor, knowing this enigma is coming for him, and he's like the final track for Enigma on the Waves, is him having a battle with the enigma, knowing he's going to lose and be dragged to the bottom of the ocean, but he will protect the people he mm. endangered earlier. Mm. And yeah, that's that's how this concept resolves. Which, for a short death metal album, is a hell of a lot of yeah, concept. Yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of story to get across. And they they obviously put it way way better than I do. And as I say, like mm. the lyrics have a really nice poetic feel to them, and their sort of descriptions of everything going on are very vague. So although the story's quite solidly lined out, there's loads of room to think and imagine mm. what's going on. And it's more the chaos of the riffs really gives form to the terrifying entities in yeah, the story. Yeah, yeah. Again, like the music of it actually reinforces and adds to the story in sort of an emotional way, which is the mark of a great concept album. Um, it's also got a fantastic cover which really ties into the concept album from uh, Dan Seagrave who's done Gorgout, Morbid Angel, Dismember, Carnage. Like, you, you know, if you don't know the <laughs> name, you know hundreds of his covers. Yeah, you'll definitely recognise some of them. But it's a great cover of sort of, you've got these human dwellings which are presumably from the city um, or at least some of the cities on Earth that are distorted by like a sort of circular effect. So they are moving and twisted and you've got this sort of dark hole in the sky and then you've got these beings on the front cover as well it's a really cool cover um yeah Mithras have a good history of covers bar their first album they've got about four covers I really like Mm -hmm. um and this is definitely up there as one of their better ones it just fits the concept so well and like on top of this we should probably get like Getting to Rainier's vocal style is is mm. probably one of the possibly one of the more divisive things about his album as a modern tech death, yeah, like modernish I guess two thousand seven tech death band. He has a style that is quite unlike most vocalists in this genre. Yeah, it's you, it's a very distinct sort of voice. You can hear voice in it, and it can transition a bit more towards a straight growl where it's just distortion. But it feels like there's a little less in a lot of this. It's it's almost like a shout that's just really deep and has a bunch of distortion on it. Um, I personally really like it because it feels very unique, and it and a lot of stuff Mithras do feels very unique with the programmed drums and the particular way they ma- trigger drums. Sorry, in the particular <laughs> way they um, uh, manage the guitar as well, the effects on it. And I think it gives it this real interesting sense of personality. 
Mm. It might make it a little difficult at first because it throws lots of stuff at you that is new or different and just a very different feel. But I think once you've put the time in, um, it actually gives it a very unique character. Yeah. And I like how he can vary it a little bit as well. It's not He's not the most varied vocalist in the world, but there's definitely range there where it can get deeper and more dissonant and aggressive and a bit more transitioning towards a shout or a slightly cleaner Mm. vocal style which i really love because it adds different emphasis to different moments so i really liked it because it's not your standard death metal thing but it gets across the brutality and like the dissonance of what you want from this sort of album yeah definitely and you can hear all the lyrics i think Mm. he's talked about the fact he doesn't like a lot of modern death metal because he wants to hear lyrical themes going on yeah yeah and and i can understand that because i I really enjoy a lot of the truly guttural stuff but i also Mm. feel this totally works yeah the other thing we should talk about with this band is they are obsessive about what they do, more mm. so than most bands I can think of. Um, I was watching Studio Diaries. They've got like a whole Studio Diary of their fourth album uh, on Strange Loops, which is very much a continuation of the style of this album. Um, but they were saying like they obsess about how everything sounds. Mm. like To the point, they took three months experimenting with just a different ride symbol. <laughs> And this is why a band that have formed in 1998 Christ, and have yeah. been relatively active throughout have mm. four albums. Like, <laughs> the, yeah. like all the way through that studio diary was like them being like, oh, "I'll be out early 2015." It came out late 2016, <laughs> and they they don't they're under their own label at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they are like truly involved with every aspect of this. Like Leon, especially, seems to be a total gear nerd. Mm. Um, and he also does the engineering, mixing, mastering, yeah. producer job for both this album and on Strange Loops. I'm not sure with the older stuff. I definitely got hints of that from reading some of the interviews as well, where Leon was saying that for this album, you know, he had to spend serious amounts of time training and learning the drum parts because they're just really hard. Um, and yeah, that dedication, I think, results in this incredibly unique sound, which will always make Mithras different. And yeah, we'll always yeah. make them something that's worth coming back to to see a completely different way of doing it because almost every part of it might have some similarities to other stuff, but in its execution, it's completely unique. And then they do evolve quite a lot between albums. So they, mm. they've always been a tech death band. But say you look at Worlds Beyond the Veil, um, Worlds Behind the Veil, the previous one, is truly chaotic and it, like very difficult to penetrate. Whereas this one, they made everything a lot more clean and clear so you can really mm. hear what a lot of the instruments are doing whereas the previous one I do find like like headache inducingly complex where yeah, this yeah. although it's super technical I can get more of a handle on this one and the next album on they, they almost pull back it even further and try and keep more melodic atmospheric parts while still being ludicrously technical because <laughs> there are bits on this and I actually quite like them on here can't remember the track off the top of my head, but there's a couple of riffs in it which really wrong foot me every time I listen to them. I think, oh yeah, you have that little guitar bit, and then it does that little bit, and then and then it will do this little bit, and it doesn't. <laughs> and every single time it cuts off before I think it's going to. Mm. Well, I, I I like that. I think the riff actually works really well because it subverts what I'm thinking of from it, and it keeps it interesting. And I'm like, oh right, okay, that's how it works. And I try to sort of map it out. Um, and I think that's executed really well on this album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, they're just a very interesting band, and I haven't seen anyone like really replicate their style mm. since. I don't know if it's something people particularly go for, but like, it does translate to live as well as much yeah, as they have. Yeah, definitely. Had have well, had troubles to the point where they just given up with it. But it's yeah, it's a shame they were never quite a live entity because mm. 
they're so close to that point. Yeah, um, yeah. We're going to play a track from it. We, it's hard to find one that represents everything. This I don't think this has so much of the electronica in it, but it certainly gives a great impression of like the interplay of like Leon's ridiculous guitar tone versus yeah. his bizarre drumming style. Yeah, I think, I think right from the get-go on this as well. Yeah, so. you know, it just comes in with a silly solo. Yeah. Um, this is Under the Three Spheres. <laughs> So the next album we're covering is from uh, the Italian project Progeny Terrestre Pura, which I probably mispronounced, but that's okay. Um, and it's UMA or UMA, 
um, from 2013 um, from Avant Garde Music, which again we have to thank listener Ben for turning us on to because there's some fantastic albums on there. Um, and this is one which both me and Phil really liked. My first sort of description of this would be it's sort of like progressive melodic black metal that feels somewhat positive in a science fiction way. Yeah. <laughs> and that should clue you in that it's quite hard to sum up what exactly this album is. But it takes a lot of... It really reminds me of Devon Townsend's Ocean Machine in its feel. Um, it really got that across to me, particularly with the cover and how a lot of the riffs feel, even if they're not musically that similar. It's got its slightly more, you know, tremolo-picking, blast-beaty black metal sections, but they don't come with this sort of overwhelming sense of, you know, the fear and the extremity that you might get in, you know, Emperor or something like that. It feels sort of open and expansive and almost positive at times, which I actually really like. It sort of invites you to explore... And I think the whole album does an amazing job of conjuring up imagery, particularly if you look at the cover as well, you know, of these uh, pristine, elegant and beautiful and weird, technologically advanced worlds in space and space itself and stuff like that. But then at times it will also get across the sort of slightly more gritty gear grinding aspect of advanced technology. Um, and as an album as a whole, it sums that up really nicely with a mix of lots of sym symphonic and electronic elements and these more black metal elements paired together. Mm. Yeah, there we go. That's, yeah. the, <laughs> so that's, so, that's the briefest description I can give. This is like their first of two albums, although I think they have a third one coming out really soon. Mm. And like at this point, it must be a total studio project. We have two mm. members of the band, ridiculously named... Eon Zero <laughs> and Next One, or Next yeah. One, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, who are credited with instruments and machines, <laughs> machines and, and vocals. vocals and machines. Yeah. So th th this is um, the lineup on this album. This has changed since then. The next yeah. album was done with um, three. Uh, Eon was still there, but Next was no longer part of it. And it's now a three-man project. Um, and... The next album does sort of carry on this theme and does some interesting developments on it, but this is a really sort of... I think this is the first full length. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a really strong way of doing that. It's only, I think, five tracks long, although these tracks are all big and long and expansive with often, you know, that sort of three-minute build-up that you come to expect on these huge prog epics build into these weird sort of catchy progressive rocky metal style riffs and mm. then i mean they take really take their time building with the emotions of the piece and they'll build into these more black metal parts with these sort of whispered black metal vocals yeah i like i think saying there's lots of elements as i want to touch on but the vocals are something very interesting mm. they are so low in the mix and so not forcefully done yeah they are really just a slight texture in the background mm. often mm. with like a lot of distortion added so the guy gives himself almost a robot voice but then sometimes it's just like a more human sort of growly whisper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is that sort of black metal whisper, which, you know, you hear bits of in some other black metal bands, but in, in here it is basically the vocal performance. Because sort of this album is like the polar opposite of Mithras mm. in, in that regard, where the concept, it's all in Italian, so I've got no idea what's going on. But mm. like the concept of each song is completely buried because... I think even if you spoke Italian, you had no idea what's going on. Yeah, so yeah. they they are far more so than a band like Mithras or Armageddon having to create the atmosphere through their music. Mm, but mm. it contains a lot of elements you get in Mithras with 
The drums on this are programmed, so have a slightly similar feel to Leon Macy's like massively triggered uh, sound. Mm. And then you have these super melodic lead guitar passages, which yeah, are equally yeah. given this kind of ethereal, affected tone. And then lots of electronica and synths mm. building into more heavy, traditional, kind of more black metal riffing, definitely. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, and yeah, the thing we should touch on kind of this is the first thing that happens to the album is the the degree of electronic kind of electronic elements is huge on this. You get Massive. great fight. Like the first song, I think is five minutes before any kind of so. yeah, yeah. black metal type thing happens. Like, yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because it, it yeah it starts off with this you know sort of beeping from a synth and builds that up and then there's this like little drum bit that it does like da 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 and then it brings you into this black metal riff which somehow carries the motifs from this previous sort of a happy symphonic intro, despite the fact it's this tremella riff with a blast beat underneath on programmed drums. And yeah, I think that's a really interesting achievement to take the black metal sound and make it just generate a completely different set of emotions to a normal mm. black metal band, which is sounding evil and mysterious. Yeah, because this has, uh, like, it moves between positive and melancholic, but mm. it never sounds particularly evil. No, no. And, like, this this band, and I don't mean this as an insult, never feel like they're in a rush to get anywhere. Like, no, all, no, no. all their songs really gradually move. You get these, the, as I say, the electronic sections sprawl over really long periods of time but then you'll get riffs that repeat for quite a while slowly introducing maybe like a very simplistic melodic lead part but they'll wait 30 seconds or like to come in yeah they'll build up these textures through it very well and it is a very textured album it has that wall of sound thing which you will find in black metal and you'll also find in things like Devin Townsend which just makes it feel all-encompassing it really makes it feel like sonically you're part of this different world and it uses lots of these different you know electronic techniques and there's one song on this which i won't try to pronounce but it's about seven minutes and it is pretty much just these electronic parts and these more techno sections and they go further with this on later albums where they introduce bits which are almost dubstep like which i actually think works really well yeah um but yeah they they really sell you on that different world and it's open and expansive and it's never trying to get anywhere because it's more giving you this glimpse into something else into a different world which i think it does really nicely yeah yeah i'd say where this greatly differs from something like mifras is this feels like it was designed as a studio project. Oh, I, yeah. yeah I, right. I don't know if these guys play live at all, but this definitely feels like... Especially programmed drums always lend themselves to this. But this feels like a lot of Eon just sitting at his computer creating very soundscape stuff. Mm, and mm. This, this is immensely soundscape Like, yeah. This is an album, if you wanted to, you can just sort of leave in the background and never really engage with but it still gives you some kind of like emotional yeah, yeah. feedback. But then if you do want to pay, like if you do really pay attention, the subtle movements are really rewarding mm. if you're happy to sit through a 13 minute long song that gradually builds and falls. Yeah, yeah. And I found that um, even having this on in the background, every now and then there's some particular riffs in it which are really catchy. And you're suddenly noticing this sort of ambient electronic thing morphed into a really catchy riff. You're, Where the hell did that come from? And how did that fit so naturally into all this? And it's, the guitar tone's almost sort of soft as well as being yeah. ethereal. It never sort of calls attention to itself like a Mithras riff does or like you know Armageddon does. It's a very different take on that where it all sort of settles into this, you know, this 
ambience and they bring the guitars and even the black metal down into this, which works really well. And actually, similarly to Mithras, and not similar to a lot of black metal, really good bass tone in this. Yeah, the bass yeah. guitar often is doing something quite interestingly separate to everything mm. else and adding another texture. Like Nothing's ever particularly technical in this. I say mm. The only particularly complex parts of this album are the super fast like tremolo picking, but yeah. the, the kind of the bass just feel like it's always quite slow and doing a lot of these kind of like holding on ever so slightly distorted notes just mm. to add another like just another sound in the mix it's really really well used and considering it's one guy writing almost all the instruments the amount he's put into every part having its own space is yeah yeah very impressive yeah, I, I can't remember. Do you remember how long this album is? It's, it's about a, fifty minutes exactly. Yeah, so it's not so, huge. But it's but it's still you know for one person trying to stretch these soundscapes with these longer songs across it to put that much effort into every part is yeah very commendable. Yeah, yeah. I there's not much. I can't find a great deal of history to these guys. I don't believe there's. Mm. Um, they've come from a lot of other projects. This, this does seem to be their first real, fully imagined mm. thing, mm. and that, that's incredible, really, because. This is a massively ambitious album. Yeah. Right? Also worth mentioning, um, fantastic album artwork. It's got this sort of like very, very blue colour palette with this sort of futuristic world and technology on it. Um, as with the album after this as well, uh, again, I, I don't think I can even pronounce the name of the next album. But... I can't, I can't. Oh, no, it's, it's got like uh, kind of uncapitalized first letter and stuff yeah, like that's yeah and and the, that one's got this sort of like spaceship style cover on it both of these albums are really worth checking out like they're things that i will often put on sort of back to back and just go through the whole motions mm. of all of them it's really great to just listen to where this all goes particularly if you're not in the mood to focus really intensely on something yeah um, as as i was saying as well like they've got two currently out but they have um, already released a single for a third I think like three days ago I've not had a chance to oh, listen to it oh I haven't to it no yeah so definitely like check that out as it's coming out and go buy their stuff it's really really interesting yeah and it, as with everything on avant-garde music you can get off Bandcamp for like half the price of a normal album yeah. I think this, most of this stuff's like four dollars which is yeah. really like yeah really worth picking up yeah so I, th- I think the thing to reiterate with this is it is one of these concept albums which almost rather than telling you a self-contained story which takes you from you know point a to point b on a hero's journey or whatever it's more of a glimpse into a different world created with these soundscapes and with these musical techniques which are from metal and from electronic music and all sorts of different stuff and that feels somewhat distinct from your sort of story-based concept albums to me mm. but it really sells you on the idea of exploring that world and of its theme of technology and the future and space through the musical influences that it has and how they're used within this album yeah no i I think that's a perfect summation of it um we're gonna play a small clip from one of the songs because they're they're mostly over 10 minutes so we Mm. don't to give you a good sample we're gonna play some of uh track four droney but we we could have gone for pretty much anything off this yeah the atmosphere is very consistent on this album
Okay, so the final album we're covering on this is going to be a bit of a difficult one because it's probably one of the most ambitious albums we have ever covered. Mm-hmm. There is no way we'll be able to truly like get beyond scratching the surface of everything going on here. Much like um, sort of another sci-fi concert album we covered ages ago, Vector's Terminal Redux. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we can, we can give it 10-15 minutes, but there is so much more going on there. And like, it's an album that... Like, that album's exactly the same. In, like, you can listen to it 20-odd times and it's still stuff to find. Mm. This mm. is um, from the same year, actually. This is 2016's Odyssey to the West by the terribly named Slice the Cake. <laughs> and it was, like, an independent release that got famous for essentially being released as the band imploded. Mm. Um, the, the, the band are a three-piece, like, international collective, basically, of Gareth Mason on vocals, and I think he like some synthesizer stuff, and I think mm. he came up with a lot of the uh, the specific lyrics, but not the concept. You have Jonas Johansson um, on guitar, bass, backing vocals, um, drumming, drum programming, drum yeah. programming, uh, production, artwork <laughs> as well. <laughs> Busy man, yeah, um, and then Jack uh, Megaro from Australia who composed and orchestrated the album, but has, uh, and also credited with musical thematics, (laughs) but didn't play any of it. So quite who did what is a bit of a mess. And as they all seem to have fallen out halfway through, Mm. we'll never quite know. Um, Genre-wise, this is a really difficult one. Um, I've heard it described as avant-garde deathcore. (laughs) (laughs) I, I can definitely see that way of interpreting it. It's it's weird because it has all sorts of different stuff in it. Like, I mean, I definitely say it's one of these albums which truly deserves the title of progressive because it is doing lots of things of lots of different genres and trying to put them all together in sort of service of a much grander vision. Um, that's about where I can definitely say that it deserves something. There's bits of it which are death metal. There's bits of it which feel a little bit more like a deathcore or metalcore album. There's definitely, there's kind of a gent influence. We certainly get that bass and guitar hyper low end. Definitely, um, yeah. But then you've got, like, and there's a melodic ballad in the middle. Yep. There's yep. huge amounts of spoken word pieces. Yeah, there's bits that feel like Meshuggah or Sixth, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you've, got, you've got a lot of, it just seems like a big melting pot of the last 20 years of metal mm. like a lot of those extreme metal influences from all sorts of bands are in here yeah. are really nicely playing off each other this is like I think it's the second album from the band they formed in mm. 2008 so haven't had a huge amount of music and it's before this came out we got Odyssey to the Gallows which is kind of the build up to it yeah. which is a half hour long kind of um, atmospheric kind of synth track with uh, Gareth Mason just narrating a story over mm. it. I found that a hard listen. This I found instantly engaging. I should say as well, this I've been listening to since it came out in 2016. Rob has only started listening to it the other week, so hasn't delved yeah, quite yeah. this deep. So I'm, 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 this is the sort of thing, I think, though, which will reward you for giving it a lot of time. Uh, I've given it quite a lot of time over the past, you know, three or four weeks and I've found it very rewarding as I've gone on. It is the sort of thing where it has enough that you can start off. It's not instantly inaccessible like some of these really grand visions which sometimes take a long time, but it rewards you for more. It's a very long album and there is a lot to unpick with what is going on here. There's a lot to read online about what's going on behind it, the story of the album itself, 
and the story of the band. Um, but the story of the album and how that translates musically, particularly because um, you can make out pretty much everything that's being said in this, there's an awful lot to uncover. And this is one of those ones which you can listen to for years and still not have really got it. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Like, I've I must have listened to this like start to finish about twenty times, mm. and I still find like there's there's elements I've not um, really fully unpicked in it. Lyrically, it's quite different to um, anything else we covered today. Mm. It's far more metaphorical. There's far more allusions. Yeah. I, I mean, it's slightly stretching the definition of sci-fi. It's more of a kind of fantasy meets human experience kind of thing. Yeah. The lyric themes are based around a lot, like it starts off in very kind of Christian mythology type imagery, then moving into more pagan mythology, and then just it's a lot more of a, a kind of narrator character being extremely self-reflective. And So, so it, it is based off, and I can't remember the name of the exact story, but it's based off a story from Christian mythology, which is then sort of taken through the motions, and then towards the end it sort of changes, and it's about the journey of a pilgrim, um, the pilgrim sort of journey to the west and leaving his love behind towards this sort of um, holy mountain, the final track, and it all sort of leads through lots of different things that happen um, where he meets Celtic gods and stuff like that, and all sorts of stuff that is happening in this. I don't know how much detail we're going to go into in unpicking it, but... So, I think at this point, you say, there's an amazing article on Prog Notes mm. where mm. a guy's done a two, like a two separate editions of the article to get it, like, where he's fully broken down the concept and exactly what's happening. Before doing this, I was debating reading and understanding that, and I decided, actually, I don't fully get the concept even when he explained it to yep. me, so... If you're really into that, go read his thing. It's, it is fascinating, and like it really does go along well with this. But I'm not going to fully break down the story because, listen, yeah, down, yeah. I was not smart enough to get most <laughs> of what was going on here. Yeah, I, it's something that takes you a lot of time, but it is rewarding, and the, the little bits that you get out from it, you know, when you really uh, the one which would stand out to me is um, the Horned God, which is one of parts of the tracks on this. When you sort of listen to that, and when you read some of the stuff about, it's a sort of conversation between the Pilgrim played by Gareth Mason, and the Horned God, who is a Celtic god whose name I've written down but can't pronounce properly. Um, <laughs> Serenos? Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> and you have these vocal interchanges between them, which when you first listen to it, you sort of think, oh, this is cool. There's some, there's some guest performances on here. There's these mm. really low, deep, guttural death growls paired off against you know Gareth Mason as the Pilgrim, these more high-pitched, which do descend into much harsher vocals, but more high-pitched compared to these sort of God-style vocals and these exchanges between them. And then when you read about the story, you get a bit more of understanding of, oh, right, that's what's going on here. Mm. That's interesting. And it unpicks the music. And next time you listen to it, you get a bit more realisation. And that's really cool. It's really nice for an album to reward you for delving into its story. Yes, definitely. Um, like, a really huge part of this album is uh, Gareth Mason's vocals. Mm. They are... So the album starts with his character sort of... Um, because it's almost like like voice acting essentially. Yeah, you know, about yeah, yeah. half his album is voice acting, and the first the first thing you hear in the album is his character sort of waking up suddenly, mm. and then then like a gentle guitar pattern comes in, and as the music builds, Gareth starts narrating the story, like narrating his thoughts at this point in time, but. As the music builds, he goes from narration into slightly singing narration, mm. and the singing builds up with the music and becomes like harsher and harsher until he's in this full-blown kind of... I'd say, like, 
and I don't mean this as an insult or anything, but he's a kind of metal corey scream. He's yeah. got that kind of yeah, yeah. the very clear, you know, like sort of um oh what's his name? The kill switching the famous kill switching uh, game. Howard Jones, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. He's got a scream that isn't a million miles mm. off that kind mm-hmm. of like kind of mid range, quite clear, um, but like with a lot of like a lot of rough edge to it still. It's it's not a vocal style I'm massively fond of, but the thing is Gareth varies the vocals so much and I say like he has these cleans, he has these narrations and often layers them over each other as well that you never have time to dwell on not liking a yeah. style. And this is one of the times where I've I've thought it's worked. Again, it's not a style that I'm normally particularly fond of, but I got I've really got into it on this and it has something that I really love, which I don't see very much in most albums. There's some bands that sort of do it, like Sixth sort of do it sometimes, where they really build intensity through building intensity with vocals. So often mirroring this in the music itself, but to me it often feels like the vocal intensity is driving this change. It will go from these spoken word parts and it will bring it up through, you know, through singing to harsher and harsher and harsher and sometimes just talking, getting harsher and more aggressive until you're really into a full-on growl and the music builds that with it. And because you can understand everything that's being said and you can feel it is as if the character is getting angrier as this goes on and is feeling these emotions... It does a great job of building this, and it, you know it feels like one of these uncontrollable angry rants, which is then built with the music beneath it, which I really like. And I, you know, I'd like to see other bands doing this. It's a really cool feature, which helps you connect to the building emotions in the song. Because I have to say, that's what hooked me. That mm, that exact yeah, yeah. thing happening was what I was like, oh, I've not heard this before. Because the music behind it, especially in the heavier moments. This really chaotic technical music. Mm, the, mm. the the program drums are hugely loud in in the mix, and then you've got this massive bass guitar sound, yeah. and like these genty like rhythm guitars. But they're all hyper technical, hyper complex, like interlinking and interweaving. It's it, it's like it is quite a riffy album, but the riffs are kind of just all over the place, yeah, and it has yeah. actually like like Vector we mentioned earlier has that thing of like. There's so many riffs. <laughs> constant, like... There's a constant energy and change going on. And one of the things I like about it is while you've got one guitar which is often doing these riffs, the other guitar is often doing something completely different. Um, and particularly on tracks like Holy Mountain, it is giving you this weird sinister edge to it. Mm. And doing these... You know, sometimes they're as simple as a single note for a while, just repeating and then transitioning into more melodic patterns and like eerie patterns, which give things a sense of something sinister Mm. Um, and sometimes these patterns are actually something that sounds more positive and is building up some of the calmer bits but the bits on Holy Mountain really stuck out to me as being this is a really nice way of using a second guitar where I can't necessarily work out what it's doing but it's adding to the like context and the texture of this song and making it feel like more dirty and more aggressive and nasty and there's some very interesting things done on this album I think um, I'm trying to remember what track it's in it's one of might uh, it might be the Mountains of Man, where it has this mm. like quite cool um, acoustic guitar riff. There's a lot of use yeah. of acoustic guitar, but then the, the acoustic guitar will be doing like quite a kind of standard acoustic guitar pan. But then the bass guitar will come in on its absolute lowest notes, mm. doing this mm. really hefty, like kind of like gently more notes kind of riff and like heavy yeah, yeah. drummings paired with just acoustic guitar. Yeah, but it doesn't sound wrong. The mix yeah. has somehow captured all of this. And the mix really has this thing of like barely holding it at the seams. Like there, there is so much trying to burst forth. The amount of layers of vocals, the amount of hyper technical instruments playing off yeah. each other. It's 
Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things. Like one of the other things where I don't realize. I don't think if I hadn't spent this long listening to it and I hadn't been researching it, I would have noticed the program drums because there's so no. much going on, and, and and the program drums are really solid. Like the sound is really good. It never feels as if it's stale or like inorganic. Like sometimes program drums can feel when you don't put the time and effort into them. It, it feels very real. It carries the motions and the beats of the song. And I think part of that is because there is so much going on that you... And the sound of the drums is like really solid. It sounds like an actual drum kit. You don't notice it. Yeah, I, I weren't really going to believe that was a triggered kit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, because like, we have to say, like, Jonas Johansson is an absolute genius musician. Although I can't find anything about him because he has the most Swedish name ever. <laughs> and all their websites aren't that well maintained. So yep. I don't know who the hell he is. <laughs> um, so yeah, he might be doing more stuff. Mm. <laughs> like, it's going to be a problem. The whole, I don't really know what anyone in this project's got No, it's really hard. The only things we're sort of seeing from outside it. So as we mentioned in Horn God, you have a guest uh, vocal performance from... Uh, J.J. Polacek, who's mm. quite a prolific, like, modern, uh, like, sort of progressive death metal vocalist. Uh, he, like, notably from Seven Horn and Seven Eyes. Um, yeah, yeah. And he has an amazing voice. Like, a super yeah, low yeah, bellow yeah. is something, yeah, something else. But there's mm. also a guest solo on the track before, The Mountains of Man. Uh, let's find his name somewhere around him. <laughs> like, but, but the, the lead guitarist, uh, Jake Lowe from uh, the Helix Nebula, oh, who are yeah, a cool, yeah. like, um, tech def, uh, well, no, not tech def, like, tech instrumental band. Um, mm. Their album, album or EP, I think it's about 25 minutes long, Meridian, was another, like, really amazing release from 2016 mm. that I found a bit after the fact. But he's, like, an absolute guitar wizard. So having him come in and do a solo that is yet more technical again yeah. on this. <laughs> this sort of madness is very yeah. interesting. I think like, the part of this album I found really interesting, you get the first seven tracks, which are more or less in the same vein of moving between heavy and light with mm. these kind of narration passages building up. They kind of have that feel. And then the album does something totally unexpected with Castles in the Sky. Yep. <laughs> where it just throws like a melodic piano-led ballad in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I really like it, and I think this really sells the strength of um, Gareth Mason's clean vocals. Because again, it's not necessarily the style that I would normally be really into, but I've really bought into it on this track. Uh, it's genuinely really catchy, and while it is a little bit different to what's been going on, the album does still have this ebb and flow between these calmer parts and these more aggressive parts, and so it doesn't feel completely out of nowhere. Although whenever I look down the track listing, I think, oh, it's Castle in the Sky Part 2, where's Part 1? Yeah, no, that must be a misprint. I, what, has my, what has my iTunes done to this? Where has it put it? Because all the tracks have these ridiculously long titles where <laughs> we're just using the second part of them. It's actually, like, say, track three is Stone and Silver Part 1, The Mountains of Man. Stone yeah. and Silver Part 2, The Horned God. Stone and Silver Part 3, The Man of Papyrus Limbs. Yeah. Um, they have this kind of feel to them. And they're these huge titles and for some reason Cast in the Sky is labelled Part 2. Mm. But it's quite an interesting, and it's an interesting welcome break because you've had yeah, so much yeah. complexity. Having a song you can fully appreciate and understand straight away is really nice. But then we get into the second half of the album which is where it gets more experimental. Possibly a lot less technical but like more trying different things. So the unending waltz I feel is a real highlight of the album. Yeah, it's a really good one. It's, it's sort of, we hit the point where the main character is more moving away from his journey and more into a kind of a place of self-reflection. Mm. And we get him having this kind of spoken word trade-off with, um, like, 
guess, essentially voice actor Laura Vine. Yeah, yeah. Where you, you have him sort of having this, like, again, doing similarly to early in the album, narrating a story, getting more and more panicked and upset and, like, into the point where he's completely screaming. And then Laura comes in with this really gentle narration, mm. kind of chiding the main character for being so pissed off and childish. <laughs> and, like, there's something about the way she delivers her vocal uh, vocals or lines in this and the way the music builds with it, that like, just every time I hear this track, I get a shiver down my spine mm. of like, oh, cool, this is... Yeah, yeah. This is big. Like, <laughs> and the, Yeah, and then there's... So there's, there's Ash and Rust, I think is the name of the song after this, which is, again, one of these ones with, I think, three parts. It's four parts, this four one. Parts it's this it's one. the... Yeah, this oh, is like yeah, the yeah. big end to the album, yeah. almost. Which is, is a little more darker and eerie, and I think part two is Dark Carnival. Dark Carnival yeah. is. <laughs> and it's got this real sort of theatrical tone to this, which, like... Because this whole thing is the bit where it reminded me a bit of Meshuggah and Sick, particularly Sick from this second part. It's this really yeah. theatrical and over the top and like taking these spoken word stylings and bringing them to the fore and doing something weird with them. And it goes, like the Dark Carnival goes into this almost circusy music yeah. halfway through yeah. and Gareth puts on a vocal style. It is so alien to something he's done throughout yeah, yeah. the album which is like this weird like semi-parody of black metal voice (laughs) and and sort of narrating the craziness which then builds and gets heavier and heavier into the final Mm. two parts of that track then we get Destiny's Fall which is like another more simplistic one where it's all based around this cool like I think it's like an acoustic it might just be like clean tone guitar passage that that rhythm is kept going for five minutes as it gets more and more complex and this is like towards the end of the album is where like the vocals truly show off like their yeah. full range of of madness, and it is brilliant because it's it's the character just having this kind of meltdown towards the end where he's realised his journey was basically pointless. Yeah, looking into the self awareness of this journey, and you know, I still haven't got my head around fully what's going on. But no. reading about it, this is the period of self reflection and the understanding of what the pilgrim's path is meant to be and what his has been and how all these things link together. Um, and the way that it starts throwing these new musical ideas at you is is great. Yeah, um, yeah. it really sells that sort of oh, we do- the character itself doesn't know what's going on. It gets that across sonically. And the thing this album does, which is perfect for this kind of release, and is why you don't put a cover of Die with the Boots on at the end, <laughs> um, is the final track is the perfect culmination. It is, mm. it is the perfect close to this album. I don't know if the like the kind of catharsis and payoff of this track would work in isolation if you didn't listen to the whole no, album. No, I don't think it would be quite the same. But it, it, it does something truly amazing where it starts with just one of the most furious death metal yeah, riffs yeah. of the album. Like about three minutes of just absolute heavy as hell modern death metal. Mm, which mm. Just so memorable and catchy. And then just descends into this gentle... Um, like melancholic synth passage with nothing else. Mm. And then just like... Gareth Mason just does, as we say, this narration kind of thing, and him sort of explaining the story. But the what he does here is truly amazing. Like the lyrics, coupled with the way he's presenting them, is such an emotional gut punch. If you've mm. gone through mm. the eighty minutes up to here, and as he slowly builds up, as he slowly like like rails at the pointlessness of his journey, the the metal comes in again yeah, until the yeah. one final massive riff of the album and it was a more furious atmospheric death metal 
we like the most ridiculous Lark's lyrics to an album. <laughs> I, I actually kind of really liked them. You know, it's, it's oh no, they're great. Yeah, it's, it's sort of musing on you know whether the, the relevance of stories and stuff like that, and saying well, the story might not be relevant to me, but it will still be relevant to someone somewhere, and then it just ends with but I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so all, yeah, the exact. So, like, in this final death metal part, he keeps screaming, I'm sorry. And yeah. then finally, <laughs> yeah. there's a bit where there's, like, a bar pause in all the mm. music. And the final lines of the album um, are something along the lines of, I'm sorry, but I have nothing else to say. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> and then when you hear that, you're like, okay, is there going to be another death metal? Is there going to be some more vocals? And then there's none. <laughs> the song just, like, finishes itself out. And you're like... I mean, that's actually quite a nice way to have wrapped it up. I, I did think this was really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I love the pretentiousness of this. If you mm. can't deal with pretentious music, don't go anywhere near this. It just won't be for you. It is yeah. truly out there, avant-garde music. I guess yeah. that's why I guess like, that kind of silly tag of avant-garde deathcore, mm. which is almost an oxymoron. <laughs> like. um, but yeah, it's like the things I want to touch on are just the truly um, like pretentious and over-the-top kind of lyrical... Uh, fodder like uh, some lines from the horn god mm. the heavens in their oblique majesty did speak of an old and unholy grave and numerate in starlit forms how trees came to speak in tongues and what it is they say through the conjurate of the horned form <laughs> which essentially is i saw a guy with horns yeah i mean i i i do have some time for that when there's the effort put into it to really translate that into musical form as well and i think they've done a great job because you can listen to the whole thing have no idea that most of the lyrics were like that there's a lot you can hear so i think you get that message across particularly in the spoken word parts mm. and if that is something that's i think something you don't really like in music yeah it's, it's going to be difficult um but if, if if it's something that maybe you found is difficult in the past this is a really good example of people doing it properly yeah, and really yeah. integrating it into the music and helping it having it drive the story and the music drive it um typified uh, best by the sections where the vocals and the music both drive the intensity of tracks and help build together in a way where I've never really seen vocal performances and lyrics integrated into an album quite as much. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like uh, essentially you touched on this. Like You can get a lot of the emotional payoff of this album without understanding it. Yeah. Particularly, like, say, when, when you hit Castle in the Sky, it is this brief kind of... Mm. But you kind of feel like the change in tone, and then you like towards the end of the album, you really get the kind of fear and frustration, and then the kind of almost payoff of the character just giving mm. up. Yeah. Like, and you'll get bits of the story throughout it because there are these spoken word bits which you can understand, and you can at least with the music driving the emotion as well, you can get the gist of what is going on, even if you couldn't necessarily explain it. You can sort of feel what is going on, and then you delve into it more, and you attempts to understand what is actually going on but it's it's a rewarding experience if you've got the time to do it yeah and just just hugely tragic this yeah. is all we're going <laughs> to see from them but, yeah like if if any of you know more because you you may well do like i've tried to find stuff and just maybe even just crap at looking um mm. but like if these guys have gone on to do other things like i don't know if this works so well because the three of them together are just like capable of creating something amazing but it would be interesting to see how all of them do, uh, do mm. on separate projects coupled with other people. Definitely. Because yeah. Yeah, this is just such an ambitious piece. I, I I was utterly amazed when I first heard it. It took me ages to realise whether I liked it or not. Yeah. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah. like oh, what I, the hell have I just heard? I definitely had that about four weeks ago when I first started listening. I'd be like, 
Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what do I say about this? It's just so pretentious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It starts with a character going... <sighs> <laughs> but it's, like, it is brilliant. Um, yeah, so I, I think that probably covers it for Slice of Cake. Mm. Like, I can't believe a band were named that bad release something like this. Sounds so good, <laughs> yeah. Particularly with like the yeah, how sort of pretentious the concepts and idea is. Pulled it off. Managed it actually created something fascinating with loads of interesting parts and, you know, techniques I haven't seen used that much before in music. Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, yeah, so other things we want to touch on, because because we kind of framed this as us going into uh, uh, other cool, like, sci-fi concept albums, um, we're going to share a few of, like, our favourites and a few listeners, like, mm. mentioned to us. Have you got any you're particularly into? Yeah, I've got, I've got a few. Some of these we've mentioned before. So uh, there's obviously Vector's Terminal Redo, which is fucking amazing. Like, it's it deserves more. It deserves more time from everyone. Like, we could say so much more about it. It's a fantastic one. Um, it's a very obvious one for me is both the Ziltoid albums from Devin Townsend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, number one is by far my favourite and still one of my favourite Devin Townsend albums, but they're both really good in their own way. Uh, Mastodon's Crack the Sky is a weird one, which sort of just about fits. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I still kind of always feel Mastodon are more in a fantasy vibe, but then you do yeah. have that thing of like, so you read like a Roger Zelesny book is like is that sci-fi or fantasy it's, like, yeah it's a tricky one I've always worth mentioning because yeah it's a fantastic album um, Queen Drake's Operation Mind Crime uh, is this great sort of dystopian you know Brave New World style thing um, and as much as there's a lot of bad Queen Drake stuff I genuinely think this one's pretty good yeah, Operation um, Mind Crime is one of those it's like essential metal listening. You might not love yeah. it, but you really should have given it a yeah, listen at yeah. least once. Um, Russia's 2112, which again is blurring the lines between fantasy, um, but I have to mention Rush every opportunity I get, and this album <laughs> is fucking great. It's really good. And I think you can see where, you know, where like metal albums would take these crazy concept albums you can see back in the early well, prog rock bands. Mithras like Rush is a huge influence. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> Rush like Morbid Angel and uh, yeah, yeah, a few others. Um, um, last two, the Sword Warp Riders, which is a newer one, but it's actually really quite cool. I need to give it some more time, but I've been quite taken with it on my first few listens. I've never like the Sword are a really popular band. I've never like I don't hate anything about. I've just yeah. never quite got into, and I feel okay, yeah, yeah. But I feel like I just have issue with that whole kind of throwback blues rock style. Yeah. Where, but yeah, so possibly I just need to War give more Riders time. is one of the more interesting ones, but like if that style just doesn't work, it's tricky to win it just <laughs> off that because it is still that style. Um, the final one I mentioned isn't really a concept album, but I sort of want to mention it as a band called Hoth, um, <laughs> named after the Star Wars planet, uh, who've done uh, their first album I really like. I wasn't so taken with the second, and I'm from what I can hear of the third it's not really doing it for me. But the first one, Infinite Darkness, is a collection of really catchy death metal songs about Star Wars. Like, really stripped back death metal, which I really like. Also, it's got a song called Torn Asunder by a Wampa, which is basically <laughs> a slam death song about a Wampa, and I really like it. Uh, again, not really a concept album, but lots of, you know, sort of the mini concept album where each song is about something from another universe, which I really liked. You've got, you, you actually hit most of my list and actually most of the listener list as well. But one critical oh, yeah. dimension is Edge of Sanity's Crimson. Edge of Sanity's Crimson, yep. The, the force, I really want to cover this at some point because I'm a big fan of Dan Swano's work. I do think Crimson is probably the crowning achievement of his career. It's just, it's just like a 
perfect 40 minute long it's song. It's also potentially got one of the best screams ever recorded on yeah. it. <laughs> God, the backing vocals from Michael Allen on that. <laughs> no, Michael Allen, Michael Ackfeld. Yeah. I just, yeah, crazy. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> um, on top of that, basically everything by Voivod. Yeah, yeah. I've never quite penetrated deep into their concepts, but they have that cool sci-fi feel to And them. they have that thing that we've talked about a few of these bands where they have their own particular way of representing, you know, a future and science fiction through music. You know, Piggy Chords are sort of that for Voivod. Yeah. The other band we could not mention is Aerion with their regular, Aerion, yeah, like, 100-minute-plus yeah. concept mm, albums. Mm. I've got, personally, I really like Human Equation, and I've never quite cracked any others of them. I've always found they're a bit overblown. But... I feel that's possibly because I'm not the biggest power metal fan yeah. and it is very rooted in the prog power scene. I guess we should probably... I mean, I don't think the albums are full concert albums, but Artificial Brain are worth mentioning in this vein as well because yeah. they do that sort of thing and they do it in a very different way to a lot of the bands we've discussed. And a band we've touched on before who have ridiculous concept albums, Haken. Uh, the, yeah, yeah. The oh, yeah, yeah. Progressive, uh, progressive <laughs> metal group. Um yeah, like particularly Visions is like a completely over the top. Like trying to write a concept album about time travel is. <laughs> oh, it's not like we know anyone who's doing that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you're in a band who's trying to do that. For oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Um, um, but yeah, oh, and, and now Aquarius as well because I saw I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But Shape of Water, the Gamora de Toro films come out. I was like, is that basically the plot of Aquarius by Haken, but just gender swapped? <laughs> yeah, I think pretty God, much. I hope they're doing the soundtrack. Aquarius, well, like Haken and Gamora de Toro team up would be great. But yeah, thanks a lot for your suggestions on that. And if there's, because there's bound to be some really obvious ones mm. we mixed, because I was sort of going through my music library going like, is that a concept album? Yeah, same. So yeah, let us know if there's any, any like any we forgot there. You can contact us on Facebook, uh, Phil's Breakfast Metal, on Twitter at Breakfast Metal, or Gmail, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so let us know your thoughts. Let us know if there's anything you want us to cover or yeah, like a band definitely. you particularly want us to review. Or even if you're in a band and you've recorded something, send it to send us. It over, like, yeah, we'll have a listen. Yeah, because we quite enjoyed, like recently, we've plugged a lot of um, bands we've seen live in the more mm. local form. So covering some stuff that possibly doesn't deserve a full like, yeah. 15 minute retrospective. I, I, on that but, topic, actually, I should, I'll probably do a bit about this at some other point or write it up on the page. But I went to see Primitive Man recently. It's one of the uh, yeah. loudest fucking things I've ever seen. <laughs> it was really good. Um, huge shout out to, I think it's Consecration and Bismuth. I'll check this and put it up. But um, those two bands were fucking excellent. I really enjoyed them. Fantastic support for Primitive Man as well. Like The tour was really well put together, sort of thematic bands you were saying it was all in that style of like crushing just super brutal Which but primitive we... death metal yeah so one of them I think it was Consecration who were first they were that sort of primitive man thing but like also with a more death metal influence on it which mm. I really liked super low vocalist Bismuth are completely the other end of the primitive man influence they were a more like atmospheric it took them fucking ages to get anywhere but you went on this weird sort of sonic journey with them like building up from sort of mournful wailing vocals and there were two pieces as well to full on screams with um, just a host of bass guitar effects accompanied by a single drummer and they were great but I'll nice. probably post something about them because I thought they were really good no those sound really interesting I don't know either of the bands like mm. from name at all yeah so to play, I think that's everything for, for this episode to play us out we're going to Again, this is a difficult one to just take one song from, but we're mm. going to play um, on the earlier half of the album from Slice of Cake. This is Westward Bound Part 1, The Lantern. <laughs>
Pilgrim's Passage, though. What word would such things be without a pen with which to write or a voice with which to speak? us all away one day, does it not? It robs us of the things we want to hold on to the most. Believe me when I say that it lies in wait for no man or woman to make their haste. Just as easily a thousand years would go to waste. The work is all the same for the eye of God, is it not? Perhaps it is a plot I've lost. Perhaps I've lost my way. At this point, are they not the same? Am I not treading the one and only pilgrim's westward way to do the workings of the one and And I have been the squander And I 